So good morning, everyone. We actually did not record day nine because of what happened last uh, yesterday. So we, we had a electricity shortage. We are moving to day 10, and the name of our class today is the different dimensions of the Malchut, of Malchut. Let's, uh, let's uh, dive into it. Okay, so we said like this. We said that the idea of Rosh Hashanah is that the Malchus goes, uh, goes up and our task is to bring that back down. And we said that the Malchus is the energy of the world, as we say every day in Davening, Malchus Cha Malchus Your energy, your Malchus is the energy of the whole world. And then we say that the Malchus goes up. We now need to understand if the Malchus goes up, how does the world exist on Rosh Hashanah? That's where we're up to. How does the world exist on Rosh Hashanah? In order to understand this question, we have another question. We, we have to introduce another concept. And listen to this concept because this is very, very interesting. When, when Kabbalah comes to discuss the idea of Shabbos, Kabbalah tells us what is Shabbos all about? Aliyat HaMalchut, the elevation of the Malchut. That is the Kabbalistic definition of Shabbos. Now, what is the first question that comes to mind? I'm sure everybody is bothered by this. What's going on over here? Every time Kabbalah wants to explain something, just says that that's the idea, the elevation of the Malchus, the Malchus goes back up. What is the, what's going on? What is the meaning of that? Something is, something is, first of all. Second of all, the our same question that we asked about Rosh Hashanah. If the world exists through the Malchus, so what is, how does the world exist when the Malchus goes up? So now we have a double question. One question we have is, how does the world exist in Rosh Hashanah? And one uh, question that we have is, how does the world exist on Shabbat? Besides that we know clearly that the feeling, the energy on Shabbos and the energy of Rosh Hashanah are very, very different. Now, guys, buckle up. Buckle up like this. You shouldn't fall out of your chair when you're going to be amazed when the way Hasidus explains the concept. And Hasidus basically set up over here, the reason why Hasidus brings us the idea of Shabbos is in order to explain to us better the idea of Rosh Hashanah and better the idea of Rosh Hashanah that coincides in Shabbos, which is actually another class. But I would want to, I want to introduce, yeah, the syllabus was written more or less, uh, I couldn't figure out exactly what we're going to say every day, but more or less, this is the, this is the, this is the idea. Hasidus 
in order to understand, we ask a question and we and we try to understand. But in order to in order to understand this even deeper, I would like to share with you all the Jewish folklore story that is connected to our to this year. This year, Rosh Hashanah coincides in Shabbos. So I want to share with you a very nice, funny Yiddish story. And, um, and after we're going to learn this mimer, we're going to understand that this story really contains the secret of Rosh Hashanah and the secret of Shabbos. And the story, even though it sounds like a folklore story, really contains in the secrets of Kabbalah. Once upon a time, Bubby A and Bubby B, two elderly women, sit on a bench in the park and they have a very interesting conversation. And Bubby A talks to Bubby B about life, about cooking, and about things like that. And then Bubby A turns to Bubby B and says, Did you ever realize that? Every week we have a miracle in our children. Says, wow, never thought about that. Like, what do you mean? Why do, why do you say that we have a miracle in our children? So he, he says like this, listen, Shabbos day, we come home from shul more or less the same time every day. I would say every week we come home the same time. Let's, let's say a normal family, let's say 12 o'clock, people come home from Shabbos prayers to eat the meal. Say Chabad, it's a bit later, one, two. But Friday, the Shabbos comes in at different times. In the winter, Shabbos comes in early, and in the summer, Shabbos comes in late. And therefore, it's very common, I'm sorry, therefore, something is very weird. In the winter that we put our cholent early, the cholent should be burnt already. In the summer that we put our cholent late on Friday, the cholent shouldn't be ready yet. How come the cholent is always so delicious? Either it should be raw in the summer and ready in the winter, or should be burnt in the winter and good in the summer. What, what's going on over here? So Bubby B says, you know what? You're right. You're right. You just proved to me that there's a big miracle going on in our kitchens every week. Says, wow, which, which angels have nothing what to do but to take care of our challenge? Like, that's crazy. We really have miracle. We have a, uh, angels in our kitchen taking care of our child. So Bubby Ace thinks, let's think which, uh, which, uh, which uh, angels are unemployed the whole year that they have time to do it. So she answers back to her. You remember on Rosh Hashanah, after sounding the shofar, the, the, we say, may the angels that come out of our, uh, of our shofar blast Bring up our prayers in front of the throne of his glory. 
So these angels are unemployed the whole year. These angels, these angels on on the on the on the on, during the whole year, they don't have what to do because they're not dealing with the sounds of the shofar. So they're taking care of our of our chalant. So Bobby B says to Bobby A, you know, you're really brilliant. I have a proof that you're right. Because if Shabbos coincides on Rosh Hashanah, we don't sound the shofar. Why don't we sound the shofar? Because the angels that take care of the blasts of the shofar are busy with our chalant. That's yeah. That's the folklore story that goes around already for hundreds of years where Jews have that story of two people talking to each other and basically telling each other that the same angels that deal with our cholent during on Shabbos deal with our blasts. And that's the reason why Rosh Hashanah didn't coincide on Shabbos. We don't blow the shofar because the angels are busy with the cholent. Now, this is the joke. Cute. But let's try to go in a bit deeper. This is, a, this is a funny story, but really there's an unbelievable question that everybody wonders about. The Torah says to sound the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. The Torah does not make any distinction if it is during the week or on Shabbos. The Torah says you have to sound the shofar. Come the rabbis, and the rabbis say that Rosh Hashanah coincides on Shabbos. We don't have to sound the shofar. Comes the unbelievable question, how is it possible? How is it possible that Rosh Hashanah coincides on Shabbos? We don't sound the shofar. How do the rabbis come and uproot a Torah commandment? And listen, guys, it's not just a regular Torah commandment. This is a Torah commandment that is for the most general day of the whole year. This is a Torah commandment that affects the whole year. Rosh Hashanah, the meaning of the word Rosh is a head. In Judaism, we don't just call it the beginning of the year. We call it the head of the year. Just, we call it, just like we call it the, not the beginning of the month, but rather the head of the month. What does a head mean? It includes the whole year. Sounding the shofar is a mitzvah for the head of the whole year. It includes the energy of the whole year. How is it possible that the rabbis come and just uproot the thing and now know, realize another thing? Kiyas shofar, the sounding of the shofar is connected to the idea of tshuva, of repentance. Now, repentance is, is, is huge. Repentance is greater than all the mitzvahs. What's the proof that it's greater than all the mitzvahs repentance? What's the, because repentance clears up for all the other mitzvahs. A person missed a mitzvah, can do repentance. A person messed up and did a very, can do repentance. So that shows that tshuva is such a great mitzvah, it's greater than all the mitzvahs. 
And sounding the shofar is connected to the idea of tshuva. How is it possible that, that the rabbis uprooted it? Now, let me be honest about it. If you look in the Talmud, Talmud also asks this question. But the Talmud gives the reason, the reason that the Talmud gives is a famous reason in the name of Rabbah. And Rabbah says, everybody needs to sound the shofar. Not everybody knows how to sound the shofar. If we're going to have to sound the shofar or Shoshana, the coincides in Shabbos, maybe someone will forget and carry the shofar outside in a place without an Eruv in order to go and learn how to sound the shofar. Basically, because of some lazy bum, I'll tell you in a second why I call him a lazy bum, but because some lazy bum may be somewhere, that's why we canceled the whole idea of sounding the shofar on Shabbos. Doesn't make any sense. Why do I call him a lazy bum? Because you had to wait for a Shoshana. You couldn't, for the whole month before a Shoshana, two months or three months, you couldn't get a lesson on how to sound the shofar. That's first of all. And a bum, because even if you, okay, you pushed it off, you procrastinated, you're a procrastinator, you didn't go and learn how to sound the shofar. You remembered Rosh Hashanah morning, Rosh Hashanah morning, ah, came to you in a surprise, as if you didn't know that Rosh Hashanah is coming. This morning you wake up, say, oh, I have to learn how to sound the shofar. So you remembered now, what are the chances that this same lazy guy is also going to forget that it's Shabbos and by mistake carry it out? And by mistake carry it outside within a place without an Eruv. To say that that's the reason to uproot it sounds so far-fetched. But that's what the Talmud says. That the reason why we don't sound the shofar on Shabbos, the reason why we don't take a lulav and esrog on Shabbos, the reason why we don't read the Megillah on Shabbos, these three things is because on Shabbos the rabbis were afraid these are things that everybody has to do, and therefore people might forget and take it outside into public domain, and taking in public domain is a Torah prohibition. Now we know, we know the secret, guys. We know the secret that why, that when the Torah, when the Talmud tells us a reason, it's covering up the real Kabbalistic reason. The Talmud was written to, for simpletons. The Talmud was written for The Talmud was written, no, I'm sorry, I didn't say it right. I have something on my mind that is like, that letting me be completely focused. I'm sorry, guys. The Talmud is the exoteric part of the Torah. It's not written for simpletons. Wrong, wrong line. The Talmud is the exoteric part of the Torah, therefore the Talmud doesn't share the secrets of Torah. The secrets of Torah are written in Kabbalah. So when the Talmud wants to cover up for a secret reason, just comes up with the exoteric reason. Oh, you know why you're not allowed to sound the shofar? Because maybe some lazy bum will forget and take it out in a place without an Eru. But if you're smart enough, you understand that the, the, the Talmud is really covering up for a much, much deeper reason. Says Hasidus, based on Kabbalah, you know the reason why? 
we don't sound the shofar on Shabbos, because if you will understand the Kabbalah of Shabbos, the Kabbalah of Rosh Hashanah, you will understand that really Rosh Hashanah, the coincides on Shabbos, there's no real necessity to sound the shofar. And that is the reason why even such a small reason like, as if, just like, just a reason as small as maybe someone will forget and carry it out in, into public domain, that is a reason to push it off. Now, really we, this was like more day, day 11 or day 12, but it doesn't matter. I, I, as I'm teaching, I think that's the better way of going. We have two questions. I'm going back. I, I introduced the idea of Rosh Hashanah together with Shabbos. And now I want to go back. How does the world live on Rosh Hashanah? How does the world live on Shabbos? We said that on both things, Kabbalah tells us that the world, I'm sorry, that the, the idea of Rosh Hashanah and the idea of Shabbos is that the Malchus elevates back to its source. How are we going to answer the, this uh, unbelievable question? Let's try. Hasidus comes and says that Malchus, let me first talk cryptic Kabbalistic words, and then hopefully, as you're already used to this, everything will fall into place once we explain every detail. Hasidus comes and says that Malchus has two dimensions. If the Malchus really would go up, the world would cease to exist. But the Malchus has two dimensions, an internal one and an external one. Only one second. Sorry, guys. Let's continue. Hasidus comes and says that the Malchus has two dimensions, an internal one and an external one. Now, what is the technical um, uh, brilliance of this answer? Hasidus comes and says, you know, we have two questions. How does the world live on Shabbos? How does the world... Uh, we have three questions, actually. How does the world live on Rosh Hashanah? How does the world live on Shabbos? And what's the difference between the two? So... Let me just give you the Kabbalistic answer, and then I promise you this is going to be so interesting to understand this according to Hasidus. Rosh, there, is, there are two dimensions. Rosh Hashanah, the internal goes up. And how does the world live? The world lives through the external. Shabbos, it's the opposite. 
The external goes up and the world lives through the internal. Did you realize how this Kabbalistic answer answers all three questions? How does the world live on Shabbos? The Malchus goes up. It says, no, only the external goes up. The world lives from the internal. Rosh Hashanah, how does the world live in Rosh Hashanah? Only the external, I'm sorry, only the internal goes up. The world lives from the external. That's it. What's the difference between Shabbos and Rosh Hashanah? Oh, the difference between Shabbos and Rosh Hashanah is exactly the opposite. Rosh Hashanah, the, ex, the internal goes up, and Shabbos, the external goes up. Now let me try to explain this, and hopefully this is going to blow your mind. Not hopefully, I'm sure it will. I'm confident it will. What does it mean internal, external? What does it mean going up, going down? What, what's going on over here? We said the following. We said that God created the world with malchus, with utterance, with speech. Now, speech also has a life to it. I could say the words, I love you, like sound like a robot. I love you. Would it have any effect? Wouldn't have any effect. I could say the words, I love you, with the most warm, romantic way, and that will have a much stronger effect. So even words have an internal and external. When it comes to God's malchus, there is the actual malchus, the external, but then there's the internal, that is God's pleasure, God's enjoyment in being a king of the world. Rosh Hashanah, what we say is that God says, I'm not sure that I want to be a king of the world for another year. I'm not sure if I want to. So what happens? So the first question that we right away ask, oh, if the mountains goes up, it should collapse. The world should collapse. And the answer is no. Let me ask you a question. I want to give a few examples of internal and external. And together, hopefully, you all are going to come out of this class, masters of Hasidus in Hasidic thinking and understanding how to break things down. Let me ask you a question. Let's use an example of a factory. That is the most physical example that we could think of. Like the very, not physical, we're going to use more physical examples, but we're going to use, this is a very practical, simple example. Let's say you have a factory. You are, you see a factory. In the factory, you have like a whole floor full of people uh, standing, a factory that creates, that, that manufactures sweaters. And you have people standing over there and working their machines, standing on their posts, making the sweaters, packing the sweaters, all the whole thing. That is the external, let's say. It's the external of the malchus. It's the external. Then you have the boss, that he's the life of it. I once had a girl in the women's program that used to tell me that she has a, that she had a, she had a boss that used to come in every morning and talk to the workers and say, oh, we're living the dream. We're living the dream. And that's how it used to inspire everyone. That's how it used to make everyone excited. They would love their job. Oh, they're living the dream. So the guy every day comes in and inspires the workers. That inspiration, we will call that the internal. There's the action, and then there's the inspiration for the action. One day, let's, how are we going to call that boss? Joe. Joe comes in one day and he doesn't tell, doesn't tell any of his workers good morning. Doesn't tell any of his workers, You're, we're living the dream. 
barely talks to any of his workers. He just rushes through all the machines, goes into his office, shuts the door, <laughs> and the rumors start that Joe had second thoughts about continuing the company. He's sitting in there with some, um, with some bookkeepers and advisors, and he wants to know if he should continue the company for another year. Could imagine how the hundreds of workers are all um, are all frightened. They might lose their jobs. What's going on over here? What should we do? And we're going to talk about that too. What do the smart ones do? What do the stupid ones do? And so on and so forth. But first, let's go to the technical question. Might come, might someone might come and ask a question, Rabbi. If the malchus goes up, what does it mean goes up in this situation? He goes back into his office. He's not sure that he wants to be a malchus another year. How come the company still exists? You know how the company still exists? The workers are still there. The workers still there. The 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 machinery is still there. Um, all the all the all the offices are still going on. What's missing? The life is missing, but the actual body, the external, is still there. The same is also Rosh Hashanah. Like Lazarus asked today the question at the beginning of the class: What happens when Rosh Hashanah comes in? Friday afternoon in two weeks from now, less than two weeks from now, Friday afternoon, just as sunset happens. The malchus goes up. What does it mean the malchus goes up? The internal of the malchus goes up. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say Friday afternoon because we're going to see the Chavez is different. The eve before a regular Rosh Hashanah. The internal, the energy of the world. Guys, Kabbalah tells us about the energy of what's going on in the world. What's really, we we only see the tip of the iceberg. There's so many things going on behind the scenes. On the eve of Rosh Hashanah, what happens? The life of the world goes up and what happens? The external stays. In Hasidic terminology, this is called the world is in a state of faint. Why do we use the word faint? The word faint represents the idea that there's still a body, but there's no one to talk to. There's still a body, but there's no life. There's still a body, but there's no inspiration. And that's the reason why Rosh Hashanah is such a serious day. Why is Rosh Hashanah such a serious day? Why do tzaddikim cry on Rosh Hashanah? The Holy Arizal says that a person that doesn't cry on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, something is wrong with his soul. So don't try to cry. That doesn't help. Some people bring along some onions in their pockets in Rosh Hashanah in order to cry. That's not the point. If you don't cry, don't cry. Yeah, we don't, we, we, uh, that's not the point to cry. But the, but the idea is that big tzaddikim or shoshan, they sit, stand and cry. Well, what is that? It's a certain yearning back for energy, back for revelation of God, back for God's smile. God, back to that inspiration of, of the, of the owner, of, of the boss of that company that, that walks around and vitalizes the world is a state of faint. Now, we wake up the world, we resuscitate the world 
through our sounding of the shofar and saying our prayers that we're going to still discuss how through our prayers we bring down the energy back to the world. But that is the whole idea of Rosh Hashanah. And by the way, just to point out a very important thing, because we are drawing down a new life for a new year, this is also a great opportunity when you renew the contract, you could put in some good, how do you call it? A few good clauses. Yeah, when you renew a contract, you could ask for a raise. Yeah, you know the Jewish custom, we eat a Rosh Hashanah, we, we eat Rosh Hashanah, we eat different foods that have different significances, right? So the famous one is the apple and the honey. But in a lot of Jewish customs, a lot of Jewish communities, there's different ones. There is, uh, there is uh, eating a head of a sheep by the Sephardic Jews. Um, some other people eat a head of a, a fish. We should be a head and not a tail. Some people eat, uh, Yiddish speakers eat um, uh, carrots because the word carrots is merin, which means should have a lot. In some communities, they eat pomegranates because it has a lot, uh, a lot of seeds. And we say, may we have a lot of merits like the seeds. So I heard lately there's a new uh, custom in America to eat uh, celery and raisins. So someone wants asked someone why he eats celery and, rais and raisins on Rosh Hashanah. So he says because he wants to get a raise in his salary. <laughs> So Rosh Hashanah, we, we are renewing a contract. So if we're renewing a contract, that's why we ask Hashem that if you're already coming back down into the world, we want Hashem to be, we want, we want Hashem to be revealed already. In other words, once we're, once we are renewing God's vitality to the world, we have the ability to determine the quality and the class and the intensity and the, and the revelation of that new life for the new world. And therefore, I'm going to finish with the blessing, that this year, we still have a lot of chassidus to learn. We're not going anywhere, but we already mentioned that Rosh Hashanah is already less than two weeks. We're already in the 18th of Elul. The day of the birthday, the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov and the Alter Rebbe. Whoa. Very, very special day. So uh, we're already getting close to the day that we're going to draw down back into the world. And maybe we hope that this year it's already come back down into the world, but with the greatest revelation that for a Jew it expresses itself also with a lot of abundance in all aspects of life, both physical and spiritual and children, yeah. health, and wealth, and all the good things. May we have a good, sweet year. See you tomorrow. Thank you, Rabbi. My pleasure. Thank you, Rabbi. 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 Thank you, Rabbi.